Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's Word and Truth. The man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's the host of Stand Up For The Truth. Mike LeMay. Cutting through the noise and the fog and pointing us to the eternal truth of God's Word. Hello, friends. Mike LeMay and David Fiorazzo. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up for the Truth. The day before, we all take a day off to celebrate the independence of our nation, and we're going to talk a little bit about that with our guests this morning. We're also going to look at the move of radical liberalism into Christian churches and the political agenda behind it. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us another opportunity to talk about truth and things that matter from an eternal perspective. And uh, we just ask, Father, that you'd guide us as you promised to do into all truth, that we might be light in this culture. The darker it gets, Lord, we know that you are still doing your work and we want to be about your business. And so we know that you chose us to go and bear fruit that will last. And we pray that we would do that. We thank you for the freedoms we have in this country, and we ask for your forgiveness for taking them for granted. Uh, we, um, we have so much to be thankful for, and we th- are so thankful for tomorrow, for just a day that we can remember the independence that we have, not only individually and the Constitution we have, but our nation. And we know our nation needs a lot of prayer, and we pray for revival, we pray for the church to come back to you. We pray for those who are the remnant, who are standing strong on your word and and sharing the gospel and standing up against the wickedness and exposing the darkness. We ask for strength and refreshing for those, especially Christians on the front lines that are being attacked. But uh, today we praise you for another day to speak your truth and to um, just be led by you. And We are so Grateful, God, for all the things you give us. Every good and perfect gift is from above, and we thank you that you never change. We love you and commit this hour to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Radical liberal Christianity is more than just a philosophical school of thought on how the Bible should be interpreted. It actually opposes fundamental truth and doctrine within the Scriptures. But it's being presented these days as another gospel and leading many astray with its utopian promises by mishandling the Scriptures to to project Jesus as a socialist who came to earth to forcibly distribute wealth and create a utopia from man's efforts. Well, joining us this morning to talk about that and how Christians should properly celebrate Independence Day, our good friend Julaine Appling of Wisconsin Family Action. Julaine, let's start off a recent news story I saw. Several Democratic candidates, and they're falling all over themselves to proclaim who's the bigger socialist, are hiring consultants or even pastors to help them infiltrate evangelical churches and get the vote out for them in 2020. What is really behind this, and do you think it might be successful? 
Well, what's behind it is we have an election coming up and the, the um, candidates, many of them, especially those who espouse very liberal progressive ideologies and worldviews, will do basically anything they have to or think they can do to win an election, Mike. Um, you know, somebody asked me the other day, why don't we see more bipartisanship and, you know, working across the aisle and all of that? Look, the gulf is getting wider in many ways. The If you listen to any of these debates, you look at the candidates who on the Democratic side who have come out already for president in 2020, you hear them talking about very, what used to be anyway, very radical socialistic, socialistic ideas. They're not afraid to even now to use that word even. And as you said, they're falling all over themselves to see who can be the most radical, the most liberal, the most socialistic. And, and so, um, th- th- look, they know, they know if they can convince people in our, quote, evangelical churches that they are the good guys and that their plan is, quote, more biblical, more like Jesus than what is coming out of the other party, then they can siphon off a fair number of those votes that would typically go for Republican candidates because people look at those worldviews and, you know, it's not everybody in the Republican Party who espouses them and lives them, of course, but there's a greater likelihood of that in that party, um, then they can probably um, undo, at least mitigate, maybe that'd be the best word, mitigate the damage that the evangelical vote does to their their campaigns. And so look, they're, they're going for it. And my fear is, and I've known this, I've seen it happening over, beginning to happen over the last election cycle or so. Um, my fear is that we have too many blind, deaf, dumb sheep sitting in our in our churches who are not being led by uh, ministry leaders and pastors who really want to teach and preach the whole counsel of the word of God. As David prayed so beautifully in his prayer this morning, we need to be people of the truth, people of the word. So that, and, and Hebrews talks about having our dis- power of discernment grow by reason of use. And, and that comes from being students of God's word, of sitting under good biblical teaching and preaching, being studying and, and reading it, heeding it, meditating on it ourselves. And then we can discern truth from error. If we don't do that, gentlemen, what's going to be coming in under the cloak of, of goodness um, is going to be bought hook, line and sinker, even though that what's under that cloak is evil, is unrighteous is unholy, is not in our best interest. And the people of God need to wake up. We agree. Big amen. Uh, Julaine, can can we really fall for that? And I say that <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, and, and I agree with what you just said, because back in 2006, they did it again. Harry Reid, actually that may have been the not the first time that they did that, but they brought in, I think it was Jim Wallace, to coach the Democrats, the leading Democrats, in their speeches to use more references to God and more Christianese, more speech like, oh, God bless this or whatever, to make them sound more spiritual. It wasn't in their hearts. It was an act. But they brought in someone to coach them. And it sounds like they go, hmm, that worked in 2006. Let's do it again. Well, they will, and they are, and they'll continue to do it. Again, I want to reiterate that, look, we have reached the point where elections now are all-out war. 
all right um and and you know if people are offended by that uh, militaristic <laughs> analogy i i don't know what else to call it because well i i say that guys because i get accused why do you talk in such militaristic terms all the time because people this is spiritual warfare yes it is and and so what happens is you ha look we're almost four years past the last presidential election and the democrats have yet to get over it okay so they have been they have been gearing up plotting strategizing and whatever else they have to do to to win in 2020 and and now we're seeing that they're putting their plan into play and yes david as you and i and mike all know we can fall for it because we don't have discernment and and we aren't educated on what they really believe they give hollow words we and, and we're we're just like blind I, and sheep are the best analogy i know goodness it's good enough for your scripture I guess it's good enough for us you know sheep follow too often the, the a bad leader okay if they sound good and you know jesus told us look my sheep know my voice we need to know his voice and we need to know his truth and i plead with people who are in these churches where in this state and around this country and i talk about this state i'm talking about wisconsin where you folks are based and where we're based that they will come in and they will use those words david they will they will tickle our ears with oh listen to those democrats or those liberals those progressives they're talking about god isn't mm. that encouraging yeah. it's it's fake and and, and I shouldn't say it's fake for everybody, but for the masses, it's about winning the next election. Let's be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but let's be prepared to vote knowledgeably, responsibly, and prayerfully. And it's not that far away that no, we have it, to do this. It's not. We're looking at, what, 15, 16 months. Hey, Jelena, controversy lately. Governor Evers uh, decided to fly the LGBTQ flag over the Capitol in Madison, and your organization really uh, put together a petition drive about this. Now, some might look and say, you know, Jelaine, really, what is the big deal about that? What is the big deal about it, Jelaine? Well, look, I, I know I, well, we've heard it said. What's the big deal about that? Well, you know, well, look, number one, um, in our opinion, this is an abuse of gubernatorial power. Does the governor have the right to do this? Yes, he does, and he did. Um, was it a wise decision? No. And I, I'll tell you what, gentlemen, we, we framed this whole argument, and I believe it was absolutely the right way to frame it. And that was that he was running up that flagpole, a special interest flag that represented a very narrow group of people in our, in our state. And the state capital represents all the citizens. This governor was not elected by a special interest group. He was elected by a majority of the voters in our state. He, whether he likes it or not, represents all the, the, the citizens. And what flies over that state capital ought to represent all citizens. And I don't think any, any special interest flag ought to be up there. Amen. And this one, you know, was particularly onerous to many of us. But, I, you know, quite frankly, if he'd have run the Confederate flag or if he'd have run the Christian flag or huh. any other kind of special interest group up there, I, I would have said the same thing, to be mm -hmm. honest, yeah. because this was an this was an inappropriate move. Now, it is true that the LGBT groups, both nationally and in our state, helped him greatly to get elected. And he, he kind of owes them if you, you know, if you understand what I'm saying mm -hmm. by that. And so he does give them this special recognition. But we did put together a petition drive. And gentlemen, in two weeks, we had 10,000 people sign that petition. 
And I and a couple of our other staff members took those down uh, just a little over a week ago. We presented them to the governor. Uh, we wanted to get them in there in time for him to, to know about this. Because, by the way, have you, have you guys ever heard of a sitting governor starting his or her own petition drive to get people to support a decision he makes? Ever heard of that before? Uh, not that I can recall. Well, this governor did that. He d- issued the, the executive order about raising the flag on the 7th of June. And on the 10th of June, he sent out an email saying, hey, I need a, I'm starting a petition drive. Sign on. And we had already been planning this. So we launched ours on Tuesday. And I don't know how many petitions he got. OK, but we turned ours in. And what here's what, you know, people have said, well, is it going to change his mind? Well, number one, this lets him know there's a reason to change his mind. Because there are a lot of people out there saying, this wasn't a smart move, Governor. Uh, and, and secondly, it's important always that we as citizens let elected officials know whether we agree with them or don't agree with them, our opinion on certain matters. It is a right of ours guaranteed in both Constitution to petition our government to do certain things. And the governor, governor of this state can now say that he, he cannot say he didn't hear from the people. We know he heard from phones and, and petition drives. And so th- this is very important that we weigh in and let the governor know. Now, I do want to report, we have confirmation that on the, um, let's see, what's today, the third, on the, the first, on, on Monday, the flag came down. Because I wasn't sure he'd take it down, to be honest with you. Hmm. Interesting. You mean past Pride Month? Well, David... I don't trust I don't trust them. See, when we kind of put that pressure on him, I didn't know, you know, there's a possibility that folks like the governor double down. In fact, he did at a gay pride rally in Madison. He doubled down and said that flag's staying up, mm. you know, but um, I didn't know if he would extend the authorization. By the way, the other thing he authorized in that executive order was he gave it. He gave permission to all other state buildings, public buildings in our state to fly a flag if they want to the rainbow flag, if they wanted to. And I started, I saw it show up a lot of places. I am so glad that most schools were already out by the Mm -hmm. time this EO came out because I did not want to see that flying over elementary schools. You know, Julian, the, the sad irony of these things is the message that's being preached is one of inclusion, but in reality, what they're demanding is conformity. And there's significance in a flag. A flag is something that's significant. It, it, it signifies the unity of a people or a conquered people. And so really, this flag wasn't about, hey, let's include people because they are citizens. They have their rights. But this is really about, hey, the rest of you better conform. We saw it in De Pere, and now we're seeing it in California. Well, it's force. It's force uh, conform, uh, conforming is exactly what it is, Mike. You and I, and we've seen it time and time again. You know, um, they don't really care if we disagree with them as long as we don't say anything publicly and we don't push back and we give them full acceptance, affirmation, uh, normalization in the mainstream of society. Um, and and I believe you're right. When when you raise any kind of flag. That shows either you've conquered or you or it is a unification. This was anything but unifying and and, uh, to- and showing tolerance. This was di- this was uh, divisive and it, it was intolerant, very much so. Our guest, Julian Appling on, uh, of Wisconsin Family Action here in Standing for the Truth. Julian, a lot of legislation has been passed or been proposed. And I want to take our, our final minutes to cover a few of these. The words conversion therapy came up again, and apparently there's a legislative move to ban conversion therapy. Let's talk about that a little bit. 
Well, conversion therapy is what you and I would actually call biblical counseling. It, it gives people the opportunity to know there's hope and real help for change, that they don't have to uh, follow through on same-sex attraction or gender confusion and gender identity uh, issues. They, they can they can change. There is help. There is hope. And uh, this bill would, at the state level, ban for minors an entire group of mental health providers from counseling in that, that direction. That, that is exactly what it would do. And it, by the way, there are a few um, Republicans on that. Um, I'm hopeful that it stays uh, buried in a committee. I, I, I think it will. I hope it will. But this is these are the shots across the bow that, you know what, we don't, we aren't going to tolerate you telling people that they don't have to go down the same-sex attraction pathway. They don't have to follow through with, quote, transgender um, uh, therapies and, and, and actions. Uh, but what the bill does say, gentlemen, is that what counselors can do and actually should do is to counsel in an encouraging and affirming way for same-sex attraction and for gender, uh, uh, transgender uh, activities, including things like hormone therapies and surgeries. That's tragic. These are children. And by the way, this bill trounces on parental rights and it trounces on religious freedom. And the first group named in that group of mental health providers, physicians, hmm. who, who ought to be the best advocates for the well-being and um, health of, of children anywhere, right? Yeah. No, they're yes. the first one names. And then other licensed uh, mental health providers, including license, licensed counselors in our state. And I had a Christian counselor friend of ours that, that you and that we all know actually tell me, he said, this, this would prohibit me from doing what I do in my, in my practice. So uh, uh, something definitely to keep an eye on it. By the way, they've done already passed this several times in the local communities, Eau Claire, uh, Shorewood, Milwaukee, and um, uh, I think there's one other area too. So it, mm -hmm. it's coming at the local level. And one, we don't want to run out of time before we talk about the Born Alive bill that the Wisconsin Family Action supports, and it passed in the Assembly and the Senate, but you have a concern about that, don't you? Well, it, it not only passed, it went to the governor along with three other pro-life bills, and the governor, within, within like 18 hours, vetoed all four of them because he's pandering, of course, to Planned Parenthood. Of course. Uh, we, we had a problem with it, David, because um, it's a bill that should be preventing infanticide. But this bill that was vetoed had a provision, an exception, that said, well, medical personnel can't kill a... Well, let me rephrase that. It said that medical personnel attending at an abortion or an attempted abortion, and a baby somehow survives that, those medical personnel have to do everything they would normally do to help that baby survive that they would do for a baby born alive in any other situation. Situation. But the exception said, well, medical personnel can't do that, but we're going to give an exemption to a mother who kills her baby who somehow survives an abortion. I, I, I'm, I, look, I am not anti-woman at all, but I, I do not for the life of me understand why you condone infanticide in that fashion in a bill that's supposed to be anti-infanticide. Um, I don't get this. And, and we told it and we supported the bill with that caveat. And we, we there was an amendment to take that out. And um, Republicans said, nope, we're going to pass a bill just exactly as it is. And may I quickly say what you see in that move is a reaction to the Me Too movement. And they are afraid of women who they think will come after them or worse yet, in their opinion, abandon them in the ballot box. And so they left it in, thinking they were going to pander to women, giving them the, the opportunity to take care of their baby who survives an abortion in hey, a negative way. Julian, before we say goodbye, tomorrow we're going to be celebrating Independence Day. Uh, we as Christians, 
uh, how should we approach this holiday? And, and it should we look at it as like everyone else looks at it? No, we shouldn't. You know what we should do? We should take to heed the words of John Adams to his wife in a letter that he wrote to Abigail in which he said on after they had signed the Declaration of Independence that this should be a day that we um, observe in with solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. Uh, we need to give thanks to God for what he has done in this country and the freedoms that we still do have. And and then he said, you can also celebrate it. We need parades and pomp and the illuminations from one end of the continent to the other and, and bells and all of those things. In the midst of that, gentlemen, I believe what we as believers must do is we must communicate to the next generation what God has done uniquely in this country. And we need to take advantage of the teachable moment. Uh, holidays like tomorrow affords uh, afford us to say to the next generation, this is a blessing from God Almighty. This is not done at the hand of men. And it is up to us as believers to preserve and protect. Should God tarry his com- Jesus' coming to give to the next generation and the following and succeeding generations a lit torch of liberty? And that will not happen But if we expect transmission of that through our public schools. It will happen family by family. And we need to shoulder that tomorrow. Well said. Julaine Appling, Wisconsin Family Action, thank you so much for joining us, and have a blessed couple days off, Julaine. You, you gentlemen, too, thank you so much. Pray for you frequently, and God bless your ministry. Thank you, you too, sis. Julaine Appling, Wisconsin Family Action. When we come back, an article about the heretical trinity of progressive Christianity. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. I had a rare uh, instance lately where I actually had a $100 bill in my wallet. And I went to buy something with it, and the clerk held it up to the light and looked carefully and took like a, a, a red ink thing and kind of went over the top. And, of course, what she was doing was making sure it wasn't a counterfeit. Well, there is a counterfeit gospel and a counterfeit Christianity uh, that is really infiltrating American Christianity. And we want to go over an article by a gentleman by the name of Will Venning. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it's titled, Warning Against Progressive Christianity. Imagine with me, I'm at the local market checking out my produce, and I hand the clerk $20 in Monopoly money. Do you think my attempt to swindle the clerk would succeed? Of course not. The pink $10 bills with the cartoony Monopoly man would not pass Alex, as Alexander Hamilton on any day. However, if what if I handed the clerk a highly refined counterfeit in which every exterior detail of the currency was the same? The clerk must then hold up the bill to the light and reveal the hidden watermark to prove its authenticity. Church, we must do the same with the gospel. We must understand that Satan is a powerful supernatural and intelligent being who has fallen into the darkness uh, into the darkest of evil. What we're seeing played out in western culture today is a counterfeit gospel, and if you don't hold it up to the light of Christ, you just might accept it. At its core, This counterfeit message is hopelessness void of any value. This fake gospel seeks to drive us, who desperately need God's mercy, further away from the Heavenly Father our hearts yearn for. The counterfeit gospel is under the guise of progressive Christianity. Yet, if you hold this doctrine up to the light, it will be missing the watermarked face of God. This doctrine is worthless and void of truth and robs the soul of true joy in Christ. Do not be deceived. Some of the core ideas spread by this relatively new sect are fragmenting through the body of Christ like shrapnel, 
we must guard our hearts and minds with the armor of God and strike back with the sword of truth. The issue is not with progressives. It's with progressives who profess Christ. Here's a glimpse of what this doctrine looks like. I pulled a few various headlines from proponents of this movement. The Bible is fallible, and it's okay. Another headline, Romans 1, 26-27, a cobbler passage that should lose its wallop. And another one, God made me gay. The heretical trinity of the progressive doctrine. Number one, the Bible is fallible. The, 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 base of, the basis of the progressive doctrine is the idea that one can take the Bible and discard some scripture as irrational and dated and other, and other text as holy. The idea that the Bible is fallible is not new. Many other faiths discredited the holy canons. Yet what is new is those who claim the Bible is fallible and call themselves Christians. It's really started as a laughable idea, but now it's a full-blown insanity. For example, many progressives discard text from the book of Romans speaking on homosexuality, while others dismiss scripture which speaks of hell. The bottom line is, in the past, those who didn't agree with Scripture denounced Christ and walked away from the faith. What we're seeing in large waves now is those who denounce Scripture staying under the Christian umbrella instead of leaving the faith, which is causing division and confusion. And let's stop at that first point. He calls this the heretical trinity of progressive Christianity, and that first one that the Bible is, is fallible and it's okay. And let's just stop and talk about that for a few minutes, David. Rarely do you hear these people say, well, the gospel is a lie, or the Bible is a lie. What they will say is, well, it has contradictions. And we've talked about this on the show, understanding the difference between a conflict in Scripture and a contradiction in Scripture. A contradiction would be something like this. One of the uh, gospels says that Jesus turned water into wine at Cana. The other three do not mention it. That's not a contradiction. A contradiction would be if one said he did turn water into wine and another said he did not turn water into wine. And where progressives lay their hat here, and they do it wrongly, but they say, well, show me where Jesus ever spoke out against homosexuality. Now, in reality, he did. The word porneo includes any sex outside of a married man or woman. That's how God defines it. But they, they, so they won't come out and say the Bible is full of lies, but what they will do is pick on our ignorance because we are not dedicated to reading the scriptures. And they'll, they'll try to pick at things that they see as contradictions. And if we are not really illuminated uh, to God's word by the power of his spirit, David, we can easily fall for these things. Number two, uh, just says many saviors. Well, once again, the teaching that there are multiple ways to God is not new, yet the idea that one can claim to be a Christ follower and also claim Christ is not the and also claim Christ is not the mediator between God and man, that's new. It's a common dogma in the progressive Christian faith. And there's several ways that we see this being presented in progressive Christianity. One that Elijah Abraham talks a lot is called kingdom circles. And if you picture the kingdom of God in the middle, and then around it, all of these circles that include Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, New Age, Mormonism, you name it. 
And the thought behind Kingdom Circles is you don't need to be a Christian to be reconciled with God, that you can reconcile to him by being a Muslim or being a Mormon or even being a, an agnostic. And again, what it does is it attempts to destroy the words of Jesus himself that no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Another thing you see in this is when you hear Jesus called a great teacher— or a great philosopher, mm-hmm. or a social justice warrior. Now, was he a great teacher? Absolutely. Was he a great philosopher? Absolutely. Did he believe in biblical social justice? Absolutely. But what lacks in their dogma is Jesus as the Son of God, is Jesus particularly as the propitiation for our sins. Brian McLaren went as far, and many in that progressive movement buy onto his wrongful dogma, that if God had his son killed, that would be tantamount to what McLaren calls cosmic child abuse, that a loving God would never punish his son because his son did nothing wrong. That is the beauty of the gospel, that God who was sinless, who knew no sin but became sin on our behalf, took our punishment that we were due upon himself. Liberals just cannot, they can't get their hands around that, David. They, they, they believe that a just God would never do that. But a just God had to punish sin or he wouldn't be just. But he was so loving that he took that sin upon a member of the Trinity upon himself. So that's that second one, this, this many saviors thing. And again, they won't come out and say, Jesus isn't the only way, but they never teach that he is the only way either. So obviously there are there are not many pathways to God. No. There are not. Here's an interesting thought about that though. All paths, so to speak, lead to God in order of judgment. In other words, when you die, we will always we all of us, everybody one of us will stand before God. But their implication when they say all paths or all pathways lead to God is all, all pathways lead to salvation, which is not true. But we will all stand before God so indirectly, and that's not the, in the context of their saying all pathways lead to God, we will all stand before him and the unrighteous and the wicked will be judged. That's a great point you made, David. Let's, let's try to put it into a human analogy for a minute. Uh, we're sitting here as these sinners separated from God. And we're on this mountaintop, and there's this big valley between us and God. There's this huge chasm, and on top of that other mountain is God. All things do lead us to God. Nature, Paul said, look at nature. That points you to God. Paul said, God gave you a conscience that knows God exists and knows right from wrong. That leads to God. It is God's desire that not one be lost. So all of these things point to God. So we start off as human beings on this journey to be reconciled with God, but in passing, in, in passing over this chasm, there's this very narrow bridge, and it's the only way to safely get from a place of condemnation to a place of salvation, and that bridge is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So you can try to miraculously fly over the ravine from sinful condemnation to reconciliation with God, and you're going to fall into this abyss and and fall into eternal damnation. But the liberals just can't, they can't accept the fact 
of exclusivity. I mean, they can't in anything. Mm-hmm. No one can be excluded from everything. Think about it. Felons should be able to vote. We shouldn't even have prisons. No <laughs> one should be punished. You know, if you think it's right, it's right in your eyes. Who are we to punish? One of the things that uh, we didn't get a chance to talk to Jelaine about, they've actually now put a movement out there to decriminalize prostitution. So again, hey, sex, if it feels good, do it. There are no victims in the crime. So liberals- Kamala Harris was one that said uh, said that. She, want, she doesn't think that's a bad idea to decriminalize prostitution. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And, and you know, so, I mean, liberals cannot, if, if you mention the word exclusivity to a liberal, they just freak out. They, they can't fathom that there can be only one way to salvation and reconciliation with God. It, it, it's just- outside of their DNA, it seems, to, to fathom that. But yeah, just one of many examples of their hypocrisy. You can go to almost any college campus and these these um, Democrat groups or these LGBTQ groups would never allow a Bible-believing Christian to be a member or to be in leadership. But then when we try to do that, when someone like uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes or, or Campus Crusade for Christ has a group and doesn't want LGBTQ members or doesn't want them to be in leadership, they cry foul. It's just amazing hypocrisy by the left. It, it, it really, really is. And, and John Leffler has often mentioned that liberalism, radical liberalism, will eventually fall apart under the weight of its own contradiction. But the problem is the collateral damage that's done in the meantime. I don't, I don't think it's going to fall apart, Mike. I think too many people have fallen for it, and people that are uninformed and those even in the church that are biblically illiterate will continue to fall for the feelings and emotions and well, the, it, all the good vibes that they're trying to put out there that are not based in truth. You know, I, I think you're right, and more's the pity, because it will fall apart one day when we stand before the judgment well, seat of God, yeah, and then it's going to be too late. I mean, they're, they're not going to be able yeah. to back out of it. So, uh, And the third one uh, that this gentleman talks about is abused grace. Yeah, I so said this dogma is literally ripped out of the mouth of Satan from Genesis when he said, no, you will not surely die. Yet many are deceived through the progressive doctrine that they need not repent of their folly. Conviction is a four-letter word, kind of like repentance, and avoided like the plague. You need not repent because God is all loving and forgiving. You will not die. Do you see what's happening? Do you see what's happening? A false copy of the gospel was born, and it, for the most part, is going unchallenged. It's a false doctrine that's emerging to look identical to the truth. It was born from a deceived church with unrepentant hearts that would rather change the word of God then submit to its authority. This progressive doctrine has a father. A father long ago said, quote, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And, of course, Satan did that in his rebellion. That's Isaiah 14, verse 14. The best way to deceive is to offer something that looks like the truth but is not. Let the church be aware. Let the church not be deceived any longer. Christ is not the progressive church in the progressive church, I should say, and he will he will have no dwelling among them. Do not let the message of this movement deceive you. Remember the words of Isaiah, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah 5.20. Uh, you know, David, we when we look at that term liberal, I think we need to, to parse it down a little further. Politically liberal or 
liberal Christianity, and, and how do we look at each of them? I think the first thing we do are our friends and neighbors uh, who are radical liberals in our eyes, who believe in Marxism and socialism and free health care and you know, free college and this and this. We don't hate them. Uh, we, we, we see them as children of ignorance and darkness, you know, believing that something in life can be free. It, it's very bad. But then we look at people who call themselves progressive Christians, and we have to at least consider that they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, some of them are just deceived, no doubt, but some of them are knowledgeable deceivers, and we need to call them out. We, we need to, by name, call them out and call out their teaching uh, because, you know, every American has the right to believe what he wants to believe and vote the way he or she wants to vote. That's fine. But if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you must accept the fact, the truth that God's word is true. It cannot be dismissed. It cannot be changed. So I think the real battle we have, and you talked about it earlier, how this facade of liberalism will probably never come apart in our lifetime because it's so appealing. Who wouldn't want free health care? Who wouldn't want free college? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who wouldn't want the rich people to carry all the burden so we poor people could have a better life? So that may not fall apart, but within our church, we, we've got to be very careful, and we've got to make sure that we understand, you know, this does come from the Garden of Eden. This is basically saying you can do or believe whatever you want to do or believe, and God doesn't care because God loves you. So uh, just be aware of it, particularly in this political season. You're going to see a uh, very strong movement to make liberal Christianity seem mainstream. But when you hold it up to the Word of God, it's anything but mainstream. When we come back, California is on the verge of passing a law that would basically criminalize the Bible in dealing with people with gender dysphoria. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. Another thing in dealing with liberals, we must understand how they will take words and change the definition, or they'll put a different word in there with a similar definition for another word. And a word we're hearing a lot of, we talked about it with Julaine, and we're seeing it here in California, David, conversion therapy. Uh, the California State Assembly passed ACR 99. It's gone on to the Senate. And uh, it's a resolution calling on, quote, religious leaders to counsel on LGBTQ matters from a place of love, compassion, and here we go, knowledge of the psychological and other harms of conversion therapy. Mm. Here's what the bill basically says. If you are a religious person, a pastor, a priest, a minister, just a born-again Christian— and you're going to talk to somebody who's struggling with gender identity, be loving, I agree, be compassionate, I agree, but don't you dare talk about conversion therapy. Conversion therapy is code word for the Bible. It, it is code word for the only way a person who is struggling in any sin can be made righteous before God and be healed, the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful, it is a two-edged sword, it convicts us of sin, in essence, this California Assembly bill, if passed by the Senate, and if it is, it'll certainly be signed by the radical liberal governor, would make it uh, de facto illegal to use the Bible in reaching out to people with either same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. Yeah, basically forcing pastors and religious leaders to embrace LGBT uh, ideology. So 
I don't know. It sounds like a forced conversion to me. They're talking about conversion therapy like these counselors are are that's their only focus is to get someone who's struggling with confusion or depression or doubt to become a Christian when that's not their purpose in counseling at all. I mean, if you're a Christian, yes, you you want to bring God's truth into your counseling sessions, but they, they don't have an agenda. But they, the left, is doing what they they are saying. Christ, these Christian counselors are doing. Yeah, that that's the hypocrisy of it. As we talk about with Mr. Leffler, uh, liberals will always do that which they accuse you of doing. So now, uh, the strategy here, I believe, is to make Christianity seem dangerous dangerous to a tolerant society, mm-hmm. uh, dangerous to, to the freedom of human beings. We turn our attention to communist China, a recent story. Chinese government agency hosts a seminar on, guess what, the enormous harm of Christianity to China. A local government communications agency held a seminar in April to discuss with Communist Party members the enormous harm the growth of Christianity is doing to the atheist nation. The seminar encouraged party members to avoid being persuaded by Christian ideology and to sustain correct views when it comes to religion. And here's a quote. The Chinese government often views religions, including Christianity, as foreign attempts to undermine its rule, even though there is no evidential basis for such a claim. And that comes from the China Aid Report. As a result, they often try to suppress religious adherence, and they openly forbid Communist Party members from practicing a religion. What's going on in China is fascinating to say the least. Uh, According to the Council on Foreign Relations report from last October, the number of Chinese Protestants has grown by an average of 10% annually since 1979. And Feng Gang Yang, a professor of sociology at Purdue University, estimated in 2017 there were anywhere from 93 million to 115 million Christians in a nation of more than 1.3 billion people. That's anywhere from 7 to 10% of the population. Now that's total Christians. Of those, about 30 million Christians in China are estimated to attend state-sanctioned churches. So 30 million of the roughly 100 million go to a, a Christian church that is sanctioned by the communist regime. Right. The remainder are in underground churches, and they are facing horrendous opposition, David. So the numbers of the underground churches, they're, they're obviously not part of the numbers that you just referenced Yeah, it there. sounds like, if I'm reading this correct, let, let's go with the figure 100 million Christians in China. Of those, 30% of them, or 30 million, are in the state-sanctioned churches, while the others attend illegal underground house churches. Mm. So about 70% of the Christians in China, the estimate is, are are outlaws in the uh, communist regime because they're practicing biblical Christianity, not the state-sponsored Christianity. So what what are the limitations on? Uh, the, you can't, obviously, I think of the first couple commandments uh, that you can't have any other gods, any idols uh, above the, the one true God, but you can't teach that because they want their state, their government, communism has to be number one. China, the government there and the leaders have to be above any other god or religion. You know, I have a friend who works with the underground church in China, and his name will remain anonymous for his protection. But he said another area they really focus on is in the Book of Romans, where Paul says to submit to the governing authorities, that that gets hammered on in this church. You know uh, what? You need to submit. You need... Now, when we look at the Scriptures contextually, 
we realize what Paul and what Jesus said was submit to the governing authorities unless what they're telling you to do would cause you not to submit to God. But in communist China, there's a lot of talk about, you know, your own apostle Paul said submit to the governing authorities. This idea, uh, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, actually that's what Jesus said uh, in the Gospels, it, it, it has come up in a lot of conversations about Christians and paying taxes because a lot of Christians think we should not be forced to pay taxes like in America. We, this should be a free country. But if we are to submit, you know, Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and we live in this free country, but we do pay taxes. But the point that a lot of these Christian friends were making uh, that I saw this debate online were they are taking our money and using it to help fund Planned Parenthood, which, you know, they have over a billion dollars in revenue a year, but yet they confiscate $535 million in Americans' tax dollars. Um, the uh, public radio, which is hostile toward Christianity, the public school system, the government-run school system that has kicked out the Bible, Jesus Christ, um, Scripture, the Ten Commandments. They, we fund all these things with our taxes, and these Christian friends were saying, we don't mind paying taxes when it comes to national defense and other things that are necessary for a country to survive in a, in a a healthy society, but these things that go against our beliefs is what our taxes are going for. Couldn't an argument have been made by the Jews with the same thing, though, when they said to Jesus, okay, here's a coin, Caesar on one side, God on the other, what do we do? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And I, I, I think we pay our taxes, even though we know our taxes are being used for unjust methods, and we leave that to God. So I, I, I guess I've never looked at that as an excuse to not pay taxes. We should mm-hmm. pay the taxes we are owed, even if they're unjust taxes. But we should never give our hearts and our minds to Caesar. They must remain God. Yeah, so our, our, our money can't be where our heart, or our heart can't be just where our money is. That brings up the next question, which would be, okay, if Christians are to pay taxes, even knowing that they're going to fund abortion and fund uh, indoctrination and the anti-Christian public school system generally, not to say that there aren't any Christian teachers there, because there are, uh, but what is the next step? All we can do, other than prayer, is either pull our kids out of the public schools or and or vote mm-hmm. for candidates that will do something about funding that is going, our taxpayer dollars that are going to abortion or funding that's going to things that are blatantly anti-Christian. So that's all we can do is vote for candidates who will do something about it, and that we've been trying to do that. Yeah, it, it it's interesting. We were talking about this this morning at breakfast a little bit, that as Christians, we do the right thing, and we leave the effects to God. So guess what? We're told to to obey Caesar for the things that belong to Caesar. So we pay our taxes, and, and uh, we support public schools, and we leave the effects to God. But you're right, David. I just, what, do, what do you mean support public schools? I mean, we pay our taxes. Oh, okay. Yeah, we pay our taxes, and we know that the money's going to be going for ungodly purposes, abortion and, and things like this. But we pay our taxes, we do the right thing, and then we leave the effects to God. But I think it's going to be fascinating over this next 16 months to watch uh, you know, going back to what Julaine said, how many of the liberal Democrats are bringing the Bible into the discussion. <laughs> I mean, how many of them have said uh, that, you know, the God they worship would want women to have abortions 
because God wants women to be happy. And yeah. I mean, you know, I'm like you. I, I'm looking and going, if a person has a modicum of understanding of God's word, you should be able to see right through this. But how many won't? How many will just look and go, well, that makes sense. I'm glad you brought that up. I think it is a willful choice to be disobedient to what the Bible teaches. If you are supporting any candidate, Democrat, Republican, Independent, but primarily the Democrat Party platform, when it supports abortion, when it supports same-sex marriage, when it supports policies that would probably fall under the umbrella of socialism, things like that, you are willingly saying, all right, I'm I'm all in. This is idolatry. Have no other gods besides me. And if you're making your political party, and that could work on both sides then in certain cases, you've got to be careful of that. And And I would encourage you strongly to back up and look at what your party, whatever it is, stands for, and if you can, in good conscience, as a Christian, knowing what the Word of God teaches, pull the lever for those candidates that endorse that, you are endorsing the same. And if you have voted the same way because it's you've done it all your life and you're never going to not vote for a certain party, that's idolatry. You know, and of course, the liberal argument from the other side would be, well, yeah, you guys support warmongering, warmongering candidates. Uh, you support candidates who are... That's start- kind of a blanket statement, though, that's not really backed up no, with No, I'm fact. just saying their argument, though, would be, well, what about these children at the border? I mean, seriously, are you going to support candidates who are letting children starve at the border? Are you going to support candidates who are against clean air and clean water? And, you know, David, I, I just come down to this, that I, I just, if Christians just stop think, and pray before they vote. That's all I ask people to do. Stop, think, and pray. And, you know, there is no perfect candidate. There is no perfect political party. Both of them have a lot of evil in them, a lot of evil in them. But um, it's going to be really interesting to me uh, to watch this religious war, if you will, uh, that's going to take place during this next presidential election because it's uh, it's going to be frustrating, it's going to be maddening, but it's not going to be boring. Yeah, understand, as Julaine mentioned, the spiritual warfare that is involved, that, that's, that's ramping up now, it's intensifying. We're seeing that played out. Understand, you are either fighting for, for darkness or you're fighting for light. You're either with Christ or you are against Christ. He said, whoever is, what's that? There's so many scriptures that, that I have this idea, if God is for us, who, who can be who against, can be against us? us? Jesus said, if they are not against us, they are for us. Uh, just make sure who, what side you're on spiritually, because there's a dynamic between every whatever topic it is that they're debating politically. Chances are, it's not always, but more often than not, it's a moral issue that they're talking about, and you can find the pages in the Bible that speak about those things. Exactly. It, it is always spiritual. Um, they will take political things and make them spiritual and take spiritual things and make them political. But we need to be wiser than that. We need to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And uh, we need to understand the scriptures and we need to vote appropriately. So it's going to be an interesting 16-month ride, I think, for <laughs> one. So when we come back, we'll wrap up the show and talk about our next show. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. 
Now, here's Mike LeMay. There is this very difficult and strange combination of doctrine and God's Word. We are to stand up to false teachers. We are to recognize and chastise false teachers. We're to hate certain positions, but we're never to hate individuals. And that's a very, very difficult thing to do. So as we look at, be it politics or whatever, we can certainly have a strong dislike for the position a person believes in, but we as Christians lose our license to hate people. And it's it's very difficult. Uh, I was just talking with a, a brother last night who said he really struggles with anger. He gets very angry. Uh, in his case, it was particularly these word faith teachers. How? Because mm-hmm. he's seeing the destruction in the lives of believers who are falling for these people. And so we, we can hate the position, but never let us be drawn over to the other side of hatred of the individual. Uh, James said that the tongue is a very powerful thing. You know, with it, we bring glory to God, and yet we blaspheme men made in God's image. Every human being born is precious to God and is loved by God. That doesn't mean they're right with God. And our goal is not political persuasion. Our goal is the persuasion of the gospel, to point men and women to the fact that all of us were born into sin, All of us deserve eternal separation from God, but that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made a way on the cross. And if we can help them understand that by the power of God's Word and Spirit, the rest of the issues take care of themselves. Suddenly, we'll be better stewards with the freedoms we have. So let's focus on the gospel. Let's focus on love of the brethren and love of the unbeliever to the best of our ability, because the moment we cross over to hatred or bigotry, we become exactly what the world falsely accuses Christians of being. So may it never be so. No show tomorrow as we celebrate Independence Day. We'll be back on Friday with your comments and questions. For David Fiorazzo, Mike LeMay, standing up for the truth. Be bold, be strong, and always unashamed of the gospel because the Lord your God is always with you.